Alrighty. Well, Ambika sends her love. She's doing well, and she's being able to spend some time with her sister and uh, just continue to pray for them. And uh, three hours difference. Three hours. I think it's three hours. Pretty sure. But we're uh, going to finish up our message, hopefully, today on Take Back the Rainbow. We started this last week, and we're in Genesis chapter 9, all the way at the beginning of your Bibles. And basically, we're preaching this message um, really as a way of giving us some biblical understanding of what the rainbow stands for, and that it does not stand for the LGBTQ alphabet community and what they want it to stand for. God first had the rainbow, not them, and I know that it gets their ire up when we talk about this, but we don't mean to be hateful, we we mean to be loving in every way, but we also need to be truthful, amen? And so the word of God is something that also is very kind of in your face, and we understand that when God created, he created us 100% Male and 100% female, and there is no gray area in that. I don't care what anybody says. You can call yourself whatever you want. That doesn't change what you are and how God created you. And so we've been looking at this, and we understand that God made the rainbow and its manifestation for his glory, of his glory, and of his beauty. And we talked a little bit about the rainbow in the introduction last week and how it's made up of several colors, but basically it all comes from white light and the the whiteness of the glory of God. And we looked at Genesis chapter 9, and we've been going through uh, beginning in in verse 8 down through the end, and we've brought out a couple different things last week, and we talked about the idea of a covenant and what this means, what is our understanding of a covenant And I guess the easiest way for us to understand it is as it relates to marriage, right? We have the covenant of marriage. And so um, we want to understand that when in verses 8 and 9, he says, Now behold, I myself, God is speaking, will do establish my covenant with you and with all the descendants after you. And so he calls their undivided attention to this covenant that God establishes. And... The rainbow is a sign of this covenant. We're going to see that today. But we said, first of all, a couple things, uh, that the covenant is unilateral. In other words, it's God himself doing it. God is establishing this covenant. We talked a little bit about covenants and treaties and things like that, and usually we would say, well, it takes two people to do it. Well, not in this case. God says, I'm going to do this in spite of you, uh, in spite of the wickedness that I know will come back. Now, remember, God had created and man quickly fell into sin and all the beauty of creation and humanity was tainted by sin and it got to the point where the bible says that they did in their hearts evil continuously and it was wicked and he wiped out everything except noah and his family now you think about that that's that's a pretty severe judgment upon this earth. And he did it with a worldwide flood. And if you know anything about creation and if you know anything about hydrology and you begin to look at the world and how it was created, every time you see a valley, every time you see a, a lake on top of a mountain, every time you, you see a, a cliff or something like that, just remember this was all caused by a worldwide 
deluge, a worldwide flood. It covered the entire earth. That's why Noah and his family had to be ushered into a boat, which took him a while to build, and he did it by faith, and God protected them. Well, they came out of the boat, and God reestablished this commitment to him, and he said, you know what? I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to wipe out the world, the earth, the population, and everything that's on it, vegetation, animals, everything. I'm never again going to do this with water. One day this world will be destroyed. The Bible tells us that, but it says it will be done with fire. Whether that's a nuclear holocaust, we don't know. God can use anything at his, his means. I think it's just the time when God says, okay, Jesus, let go. Because <laughs> Colossians says that Christ holds everything together. If you think about it, all the, if you know anything about science and and the atoms, and you got all these things buzzing around. What keeps them all together? Christ does. And one day he's going to say, okay, God, I'll let go. And when he lets go, I think everything is just going to go up in smoke. But whatever the case may be, he says, first of all, that this, this covenant, this agreement is unilateral. It's God making the covenant with man. And he says in verse 17, this is a sign of the covenant which I have established. And, and so he talks about this. That he's doing it. Without the consultation of man, without man's input, he makes this. Secondly, not only is it unilateral, but it was unconditional. It's unconditional. In other words, he says, I myself do establish this. It's not based on what you do. And we talked about how quickly after the flood, what did man do? Fell right back into sin, right? And it was just as bad then as it was before almost. But God said, I'll never, ever wipe you out even based on your, your bad performance, your, your wicked behavior, I'm never going to do this again to you. And so it was unilateral, it was unconditional, and it's also, thirdly, we said it was secure. It was secure. It's a secure covenant. Um, you could say that he says over and over, it's my covenant, it's my covenant, and this covenant is based on the character of God. And it used to mean that your word meant something in society. If you gave somebody your word, that was a promise, that was a covenant. And, you know, you would never break that. If you had a handshake with somebody, that was the idea. Now you have to have lawyers and contracts because nobody can be trusted anymore to do the right thing. And so here he says, you know, that this, this one is a unilateral, but it's also unconditional, but it's also secure because it's based on the character of God. We sang today what? Great is thy faithfulness. And this is what this is based on. Most covenants were bilateral. Most covenants were conditional. In other words, here's my promise to you, if you do this, if you do that. But this was not so. And so we're going to look at some of these covenants today. Um, so the covenant was unilateral, unconditional, secure, and the Old Testament records, and this is kind of where we left off last week, it records six covenants, um, and the first one is the Noah covenant that we're looking at in Genesis 9, and then you have the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, and the Abrahamic covenant is also an unconditional covenant, it's found in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The ceremony for the covenant is found over in Genesis 15. And it indicates the unconditional nature of the covenant. 
And, and when, a, when a covenant was dependent upon both parties keeping the commitments, then both parties would have to pass through these sacrificed animals. But that's not what happens in Genesis 15. God alone moves between the halves of the animal. And Abraham, what's he doing? He's in a deep sleep. <laughs> so um, God's solitary action in that situation indicates that this covenant is principally based on the promise of God. And he binds himself to this covenant. Um, it's based on this promise that God later, he changed Abram's na- name to Abraham. Uh, Abram meaning high father, Abraham meaning the father of a multitude. And that's in Genesis 17. But it's an unconditional covenant. And we can, we can take that, that literally. There's no reason here to spiritualize this promise to Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant also included the promised land of Israel. It gave them certain geographic aspects to what is their land, an actual property. The dimensions are found in Genesis 15. And God gives Abraham this land that he can, he can see. And this gift was declared as a gift forever. And so this is the, the problem in the Middle East, right? You have certain nations saying, well, no, this is our land. And Israel saying, no, it's ours. Well, Israel's right. It is theirs. And we need to be a sole supporter of Israel. Israel doesn't always do things correctly, but the Bible does say if you support Israel, you'll receive the blessings of God. If you come against Israel, which I believe one day our nation will, and it's already started, um, you will incur the, the wrath of God, the curses of God. And so this territory was given as part of the Abrahamic covenant. And We also have a priestly covenant in Numbers 25. This is another kind of covenant that's found in the Word of God. And the priestly covenant is set in the final end of the the Israel's 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Remember, they were out wandering around the wilderness, and this this priestly covenant comes up then. And it's, it's in Numbers 25, and Israel basically had come into the land of Moab, and he, they had fresh victories over the Amorites and Balak, the king of Moab. Uh, consequently, he, he requested the services of a uh, kind of like a, a, a seer or a uh, fortune teller, Balaam, right? That he might curse the people for me since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps, he says, I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. That's in Numbers 22. Uh, And he's unable to secure this favor from Balaam. And and Balak, at at Balaam's instigation, basically, invited Israel to sacrifice um, to the sacrifices of their gods. And seeking thereby to kind of bring Israel into this, through this idolatry and immorality, uh, and it was accepted. And as a result of that, um, they, they seized upon the occasion to carry out God's command to kill all who had joined themselves to Baal, or Peor, in, in Numbers 25. And Phinehas, he was a grandson of Aaron, rushed into the tent and executed both the man and the woman in Numbers 25, it tells us. And as a result, God instructed Moses 
with regard to the covenant he was making with Phineas. And it says this in, Mo, Mo, in Numbers 25, verse 11. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, and here's the idea of the covenant, behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. And that's why we call Jesus what? Our high priest. Our high priest. So you have that, that covenant. You also have the Davidic covenant. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the Davidic covenant refers to God's promises to David through the prophet Nathan. And it's found in 2 Samuel 7. It's also over in, in the book of Chronicles, chapter 17, 1 Chronicles, chapter 17, and also 2 Chronicles 6, it's mentioned. But this is an unconditional covenant between God and David, where God basically promises David that Israel uh, will be the, the line through the Messiah, the Davidic line will come, the Messiah will come through the Davidic line, Jesus Christ will come through that. And, um, and that covenant is forever. It's an unconditional covenant because God does not place any conditions of obedience due to its fulfillment. He doesn't say, David, if you do this, then no. He just says, this is going to be my covenant. And then you have the, the Mosaic covenant. A lot of us are familiar with this. It's, it's a conditional covenant, right? God says, you know what? I, I'm going to make this covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And he made it at Mount Sinai. And we find this in Exodus 19 through Exodus 24. Sometimes it's called the Sinai covenant. Um, but it's mostly referred to as Mosaic covenant since Moses was God's chosen leader of Israel at that time. And then the, the, the last covenant that I wanted to mention was the new covenant that we just spoke about, right? We drank the, the cup of the new covenant. And so you have six covenants, you have six promises, and, and by the way, only one has been nullified, and that's the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant. Why? Because there's nobody good enough to keep <laughs> the law of Moses. So that, that covenant doesn't really stand. It's been nullified. There's nobody perfect enough to keep the, the, the whole Mosaic covenant as human beings. And that's why the law was given. It wasn't given for us to keep, by the way. It was given to show us our inability, right, to, to do things on our own. We needed God's help. There's no way we could keep that. All those rules and all those regulations, it's impossible. And that's what God's point was. I'm going to give you something standard so high you'll never be able to reach it. That's why I'm going to send my son and you can put your faith and trust in him and get a, a pass on all that. And so this covenant that he made with Abram, still in effect, with David, still in effect, the priest, still in effect, and the, co the new covenant, and that's the one that he made for our forgiveness of sins. And that's, that's, you can look at that in Jeremiah 31 where it talks about a new heart and all that. But when you stop and you, you think of all these, the, these are based on, a covenant is based on people's character, and these are based on God's character. Numbers 23, 19 says this about God. God is not a man that he should lie. See, if you're going to put your faith, your trust in something, put it in God. Because God is not a liar. You can trust 
his character. Or in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, it says, the strength of Israel, that's another name for God, basically, because he was their God. It says, the strength of Israel will not lie. Will not lie. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night, speaking of the will of God and how you, can, you don't have to sit around and be afraid that God's going to call you into something because it's his will, but you're just going to hate it, you know. Uh, and I mentioned when I was in Bible college, I was afraid that God would take me to someplace like out in the middle of nowhere, like Africa or somewhere I couldn't take a shower every day. That would be like hell on earth for me, literally. So, you know, I was afraid of that. And I always was afraid of fully submitting to the Lord and, and, and trusting him to fulfill his, his will through me. And, and uh, it was only I, when I understood that, wait, God wouldn't, necessarily do something like that. I mean, he's not going to drag you somewhere and make you do something you hate doing for the rest of your life. The, the Word of God says that he will give you the desires of your heart. See? And we all serve God differently, don't we? Sometimes, you know, there's some people that love to serve in children's ministry. There's other people, they try it and it's like, there's no way. I'm never going back. Right? There's some people that love to, to cook food for us after the, the, the time this morning. Right? We got some good food over there. I would encourage you if you're inviting or if you're here uh, visiting, we invite you over to the fellowship hall for we have a little meal over lunch. But all those things are, are the way people are gifted. Some of you would go into the kitchen and you couldn't, you couldn't stand it. You would just say, I can't do this ministry. This is frustrating. Right? Or teaching or whatever it might be. But God gifts us all, all differently. And so we have to understand that all these things are based on God's character. In Psalm 146, verse 6, it says this of God, He keeps truth forever. <laughs> he, tr- he keeps truth forever. God doesn't change the truth. You know, he doesn't say, oh, well, the conditions are different now. You know, I didn't think it was going to get this bad, so guess what? You know, forget about the rainbow. I'm going to flood you and kill everybody. No, no, that's not the character of God we serve. Um, we sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness, Isaiah 49, 7, Lamentations 3, 23, uh, Psalm 89. It goes on and on and on. So we, we have to b- just remind ourselves it's unilateral, it's unconditional. And then the other thing here is the covenant is universal. The uni- it's universal, and it, we see that in the text. Um, it's, it's very emphatic here, the language. And if you look at verse 9, it says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Who is that? That's all of humanity. Because those are the only people that existed. So he wasn't just saying, Okay, Noah and your family, you're the only group of people that. No, he said, This is for everybody. You're, I'm speaking to all of humanity when I speak to Noah and his family. And so he says, You know what? He was in speaking to the entire human race, and this is whom he made this promise to. And no other covenant in, in force applies to all humanity. Not every covenant is universal. I mean, you think about the priestly covenant, you think of the Abrahamic covenant, you think of the Davidic covenant, even the new covenant. Okay, they don't apply to all humanity. That's why when we took communion, we said, hey, if you're not a believer here in Jesus Christ this morning, we understand that. You're welcome here, but please don't partake of these elements because it's not meant for you. It's meant for those who have put their faith or trust in, in Christ, those who understand the new covenant. Um, but this is the only one, the Noah covenant is the only one that applies to everyone. It's universal. And, and you have to understand why. Why do you say that? Because it's based on common grace, what we call common grace. 
Common grace is, is the grace of the Lord that applies to all of humanity. Guess what? When it rains, right, when the earth is parched and a, a, a rain cloud comes over and it rains, it rains on your yard, on your front lawn, and if you look across the street or down the road where, where your pagan neighbor lives, guess what? It's raining on their lawn as well. You know, they don't have, you know, a parched, parched lawn and, and you have a lush green. It, it doesn't work that way. It's common grace. That rain comes down on all of humanity. Um, no one who will ever live on earth from the first eight people after the flood, no one who ever lives on earth after that will be left out of this Noahic covenant. That's a pretty neat thing to understand. It includes everyone. It's universal. Look at it. It even goes on, it says in verse 10, with every living creature that is with you. So it not only applies to the human race, it applies to all the animals. It applies to all the insects. It applies to everything. Verse 11, it says, with you and all flesh. Verse 12 says, between me and you and every living creature that is with you. So you who love your little animals and your little pets, guess what? They're under this Noahic covenant too. For all successive generations, it says in verse 12. So it, it doesn't end that way. Verse 15, with you and every living creature of all flesh. Verse 16, between God and every living creature of all flesh. Verse 17, between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What's this mean? It means no one is ever going to be left out of this promise. It's universal. We're all under God's common grace when it comes to the Noahic flood. He doesn't say, well, I'm just going to you know, wipe out uh, this community because it's so evil and I'm just going to wipe them out with a, a massive deluge and a flood and I'm not going to touch these people over here because they're my, no, we're all under this, this promise because it is universal. And then it's also, the next step here is that it's perpetual. It's perpetual. Look at what verse 12 says. All successful, all successive all successive generations. All successive generations. And verse 16 tells us what? It's an everlasting covenant. Has no end. Now it's not everlasting in the sense that it's eternal. All right, we're talking about the age here on the earth. So it's, it's lasting throughout all time as we know it here on earth. And so we know how long it will last. Uh, back in chapter 8, verse 22, it says, As long as the earth remains, as long as the earth remains, I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done while the earth remains. So that defines this everlasting, um, what that means. It doesn't mean the eternal, it just means as long as the earth is around. So you have a covenant here that is unilateral, it's unconditional, it's secure, it's universal, it's perpetual. But it's also physical. It's physical. And, and what do I mean by that? It's physical as opposed to spiritual. This is not a, what you would call a spiritual covenant. That's why he says in verse 9, with you and your offspring after you. That's the perpetual aspect of it. And then in verse 10 he says, with every living creature that is with you. And then he says, the birds, the livestock. And every beast of the earth with you as many as came out of the ark. 
It is for every beast of the earth. So he pulls animals into this covenant. That's why we can understand that there's no spiritual element in this covenant because animals don't have what we would call a soul. They're animals. That's what distinguishes them from us. But he pulls animals into it and he says that this covenant that's it's, 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 it's not going to go into the new heavens and the new earth. It's not a covenant that extends over into heaven. If you look at verse 10, the fact that all the animals share in this covenant indicates that it's, it's only temporal. It's only physical. Think about the Abrahamic covenant. That was a spiritual covenant. The priestly covenant, that's a spiritual covenant. The Davidic covenant, that's a spiritual covenant. The Mosaic covenant even was a spiritual covenant covenant. What did it demonstrate? It demonstrated the sinfulness of who we are. The sinfulness of humanity. And then you have the spiritual uh, covenant which is the new or the new covenant which is also a spiritual covenant. See this is, the way covenant is a, is a temporary covenant. It's a physical covenant. It includes the animals. And it's, it's very very far reaching because he, he says all living beings everything. So that's the covenant. And here's the covenant in verse 11. If you look at it, Genesis 9 verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Indicating that's what he just did. Worldwide flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the covenant. This is the Noahic covenant that we're describing. And God says, I'm never again going to drown the entire world. This is what he said back in Genesis verse 18. He says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and then you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. He says, I'm going to protect you from this, but everybody else, sorry, you're not in the ark, you're not protected. And that was the first understanding of Noah and his family that God was going to do something remarkable in judging the world, but he was also going to do something remarkable in saving them. He provided a way out for them. The covenant's also referred to in Genesis 8.21. He says, I will never again destroy every living thing. The idea as with a flood. And now here it is in verses 9, 10, and 11. And he says, I will establish it. I will never do this again. There's going to have, you're going to have local floods. You're going to have all kinds of, of other things, you know, volcanoes, all kinds of things. But never again will there be a worldwide flood where everything is wiped out and the entire earth is covered in water. Um, in Isaiah 54, verse 9, it says this, For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again. So God is reminding them, this is what I said. And God says he's not going to do that again. We don't have to worry about the oceans rising and flooding everybody out. It's not going to happen. God will not allow it to happen. And so this is his promise. And it's, it's, he promises here to be merciful not just to his people, but to all of humanity. Um, even though, <laughs> what do we deserve? We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the judgment of God. As a nation, 
as, the, as, the, as, as a human race. But God says, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to be patient. Here you see the patience of God. You see the forbearance of God. He's going to let man go on in his sin. But God will be especially gracious to the world through Abraham's people, Israel, because it's through them what happened. The scriptures are given to us. It was through God's people that the scriptures came to us. It was through God's people that the Savior came to us. See, this covenant is related to the other covenants. This common grace is related to all those other covenants that are what we call specific grace. He will be especially gracious to those who accept his word. He will be especially gracious to those who accept the Savior. Um, And that's what this new covenant talks about. It's through his covenant with Moses that he will establish the holy standard by which people will see their sin and the people will know that God, how God wants them to live. And so this is, this is what this is. Well, look, let's move on. We'll look at the sign. So much for the covenant. Let's look at the sign. The sign. Notice in verse 12, he says here, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is in you for all future generations. And then he tells us what this sign is in verses 12 to 16. When God gave Abraham a a covenant, there was a sign. What was the sign? Circumcision, right? That was the sign of the covenant. Um, When God gave Moses the covenant, what was the sign? The sign was the Sabbath. You should keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, But here... The sign of this covenant, he says in verse 12, is that, you know what, it's, it's going to be throughout all, all the generations. But then he says in verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud. I have set my bow in the cloud. That's the sign he's talking about. Now, it's not the word rainbow, okay? I mean, that's, we make that up, rainbow. But that's what it is. That's what he's referring to. But in the Hebrew, this this word bow, guess what it means? It means battle bow, like a a battle to the death, a weapon of death. That's what this bow refers to. And there's a lot of verses here in verses 12 to 16. But as, as God gave these other covenant signs, he gives the Noahic covenant a sign, and that's the rainbow. But it refers to... This, this bow in the cloud, it's a, it's a sign, it's an oath, it's a mark, a symbol. The evidence of God's promise, you could say. And this is assurance, it's a, it's a guarantee. And this is a covenant that he made with all of humanity and with all the animals, all created flesh. And so he says he's going to give this sign so that everybody can see it. He says, I have set my bow in the clouds. And and that's the reason for rainbows today. That's why we said it's a display of God's glory. Um, 
And this word bow, often in the, the Eastern literature, it depicts a, a, a weapon of destruction. In Exodus 15.3, the word says, the Lord is a warrior. We don't think of God. We think of God as this peaceful, patient, loving God. We, we don't hear a lot about God's warrior tendencies or warlike tendencies. In Habakkuk 3, three nine, he says, his bow is made bare. Or Zechariah 9.14, it says, his arrows are lightning. See, God is depicted as a warrior with this bow, this weapon of death. And in the flood, God the warrior showed his lightning arrows. He pierced the earth. The earth broke open and exploded. And, and as we said last week, the sky fell, the canopy was destroyed. And all this, you know, it's like he bent his bow in wrath and just let it go. But from now on, following that worldwide deluge, that worldwide flood that devastated the earth and its population, what he's saying is, you know what, I've hung my bow up. I've hung my my weapon of destruction up. And I guess I'm going to hang it where everybody can see it. Everybody can see it. So the next time you see a rainbow, you look at that rainbow and you go, well, that's pretty and everything, but remember God's bow. This is God's bow. He hung it up there because this is not the time that we live in of judgment. As, as, as wacky as the world is getting and we see stuff all around us, a lot of people say, oh, we're living in the day of judgment. No, we're not. What are we living in? We're living in a time of peace. We're living in a time of grace. If you think this is judgment, you, you, you know, this is not because it says God hung up his bow as a sign of mercy toward a world full of sinners. And when we see that bow in the sky, it's a sign of God's peace. It's a token of his promise never to destroy the world again until the very end of human history. But it's not going to be destroyed by water then. It's going to be destroyed by what? Fire. Second um, Peter chapter 3 kind of describes that. If you want to look at that, 2 Peter 3, it tells us that, um, that there will be basically uh, just, just an upheaval. It says there will, there will come a day basically when the universe will be destroyed and replaced by a new heaven and new earth. And there will be only the righteous and eternal peace and holiness. And so, you know, this is, this is where we're we're, we're talking about um, that, that this will happen, okay? You can take it to the bank. And so God hung up this great warrior. He hung up his bow. And so when you look at the, the surface of the earth, you can be reminded, wow, the, all these canyons and everything is all caused by a giant flood. And praise God, he's never going to do that again. I will never do that again. Um, man isn't going to be any different. He doesn't say, I'll never do it again if... No, he says, I'm never going to do this again. It doesn't depend what man does. And so the, the, the rainbow is a symbol of God's common grace. It's a symbol of mercy. Um, think about it. When you have, when do you see a rainbow? You see a rainbow usually after what? After a storm. I mean, that's the way it is. You don't see a blue sky, no clouds, no rain, nothing, and you see a rainbow. That never happens. It's physically impossible. And so a rainbow is a picture then of grace after judgment. 
You know, we have a severe storm and then the, the, the clouds begin to part and it starts to clear up and you see a rainbow. That, that should remind us that, you know what, we live in an age of, of grace. Uh, verse 14 says, It shall come about that when I bring a cloud over the earth and the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of the earth and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all the nations. Now, he doesn't say that because he'd forget. You know, he's not saying, well, I, what if I forget? So I better put something. No, God can't forget anything. But he puts that as a sign to us. A sign to us. He, he wants us to know that we can experience this common grace under the Lord. Because um, he's hung up his bow. And then lastly here, the summary, verse 17. He kind of covers this. You have the covenant. You have the sign of the covenant. And here we have the summary of what he's talking about. And here God says, this is the sign of the covenant, this bow which I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Uh, The whole flood story is really a revelation of God's wrath. But the rainbow, the rainbow is a sign that God is also a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of patience and a God of peace and a God of forgiveness. Uh, There will be a final Wrath to come, the Bible says, which the the universe will be destroyed by fire. And uh, unfortunately, all sinners will perish. But between the time of the flood, the worldwide flood, and this final time, we live in the age of grace, you would call it, um, where God's judgment is stayed. He's hung up his bow. Uh, He's being gracious to sinners. Praise God for that. Praise God that we live in the age of grace. Amen? I mean, that we can be forgiven, that, that we can come to Christ. And, uh, you know, if, if you haven't come to Christ, I would really ask that you consider it. It's not something you can do. It's something the Lord has to do to you. He saves you. He transforms you. He opens your eyes. But I would definitely uh, ask you to entertain the thought of, of your own sinfulness before a holy God. And what we've been talking about is God sparing you from his wrath, from his eternal wrath in a place called hell. And make no misunderstanding, there is a place called hell. It's a literal place. And people will go there who have not put their faith, their trust, who have not been forgiven of their sins, who have not come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Well, in closing, just real quick here, a couple lessons. The rainbow reminds us that we can trust the promises of God. Amen. That we can trust the promises of God. Everything about God says we can trust him. Secondly, the rainbow reminds us of new beginnings. Remember, the earth had just been destroyed by a flood. And so Noah and his family needed some reassurance by God, really, that, hey, is this going to happen again? (laughs) Am I going to have to build another boat, or what's going to happen? And he says, no, 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 I'm going I'm to give you a rainbow in the sky to reassure you that you can have new beginnings now. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, when that rainbow appears after a storm, just remind yourself that, you know what, Satan doesn't get the last laugh. You know, you may be going through it right now. You may be having a lot of issues in your life. Who knows? God only knows what they may be. But trust me, uh, God has the last say. So you want to be on his side. You want to put your faith, your trust in Christ. And then thirdly, Rainbow reminds us of something, that something good is going to be following something bad in your life.
Sometimes we get stuck on the bad. We get stuck in a place of, of desperation, of depression, and, and we, all we can see is our trials and our tribulations and our problems and our failings, and, and that's where Satan wants us. He wants us to be focused on that. And God is saying, hey, wake up. That's not who you are. You know, you're a child of God. You're forgiven. All your failings are forgiven. They're paid for by the cross of Christ. You know, pull yourself up. Fix your focus on Christ. Stop looking at your issues. Stop looking at your own navel and realizing, yeah, you are a a wretched wretch with a lot of problems. Start looking at Christ. That's who we are to become like. And when you do that, God has a way of reminding you, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm going through a tough time right now, but God's got something for me. You know, I mean, even if that means dying and going to be with him in glory, amen, right? I mean, you're freed from this crazy world where we live in. So, uh, you know, that's an that's a issue there. I'm reminded of the, we sing this song, but it's found in Psalm 30, verse 5. Um, Weeping might come in the night, but what? But joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And, and you have to, you know, go through the weeping in order to enjoy the joy. Uh, fourthly, it's a symbol of innocence. It's a symbol of innocence, the rainbow is. It's not a symbol of the LGBTQ community. It's a symbol of innocence. When kids take chalk and they go out on the, the uh, sidewalk, what do they draw? They draw rainbows, okay? Um, they love to draw rainbows, And so here you see a rainbow appearing in the sky in the book of Genesis after God had cleansed the earth of evil. The the, the world was so corrupt, so evil, God said, you know what, I just got to wipe it out. And he did. But the rainbow is a sign of innocence, a sign of God's cleansing. And, And this is what God wants us to understand, that this covenant is offered to all of us. It's an everlasting covenant. And so, you know, I pray that as you, next time you see a rainbow, (laughs) it'll mean a little bit more. And you know what? You don't have to shy away from, somebody said they're going to put a rainbow in their front yard. And I said, that's good. Just make sure it's, you know, the right rainbow. (laughs) And, uh, you know, or there's, there's different ways that you can use this teaching even to reach out to people. You know, we don't have to be afraid. We can be bold with what God's word says. Amen? Well, let's pray, and and we'll uh, commit our time of fellowship to the Lord as well. Father, we thank you for our understanding of the rainbow, and Lord, that it was established to display your glory, your majesty, and uh, Lord, help us to understand that it's been hijacked, that it's been used for nefarious purposes, and Lord, I pray that we would boldly take that back and give people the proper biblical understanding of what the rainbow stands for and what it means. And Lord, we thank you for our own salvation in Christ. We thank you for our communion time here this morning that we were able to celebrate together the death and the life and death and resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what that means for us as your people, that our sins, as vile as they may be, can be forgiven, that we can be restored to a proper relationship with you as our God and creator through Christ. And Lord, I pray for each heart, each household that's represented here this morning in this place, and even those who may be listening to the live stream, Lord, we ask that you would administer your grace to them. Lord, that you would show them, if they haven't already trusted in Christ, their need of a Savior. That you would show them their their inability to save themselves. They can't be good enough, Lord. They can't follow enough rules 
to get to heaven. It doesn't work that way. We are all sinners, and we have all fallen short of your standard, of your glory. And it's only through Christ. And when we cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin. Forgive me from my sin. Save me and, and, and help me even in my unbelief to live for you, Lord. That's a prayer that God will answer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. And Lord, we pray as believers that we would be bold in our understanding of your truth and that we would not be silenced today by a, a mere minority in our society. Father, but we would be loving, that we would be gracious, that we would see many come to Christ as a result of presenting the word of God. We thank you. Pray for our blessing of the food across the way and our fellowship together. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with one, one last song.